So, hello everybody and welcome back to HPP, that's the Hoops Prospects Podcast. Last week we discussed what had transpired in the NCAA tournament up to the Final Four and evaluated the draft stock of a lot of the key players that were still in the tournament at the time. We were also joined by Steven Johnson, who's a beat writer for the Daily Memphian, and discussed all the things and all the behind-the-scenes action going on with the Memphis Tigers basketball program. If you haven't checked out that episode already, be sure to do so on hppod.buzzsprout.com or wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. My name is Drew Barton, and I'm joined today by Hoops Prospects Managing Director Rich Harris, uh, analyst and writer for Hoops Prospect Toyloy Brown, who we call TJ, and then another writer and analyst of ours, Connor Youngberg. A little bit about me, I am new to the team. I'm a Bay Area native, born and raised. I'm currently wrapping up my master's degree in sport management at the University of San Francisco, and I graduate in May. My sports background kind of bounces between football and basketball. Uh, For the last two years, I've done some collegiate and high school scouting out here on the West Coast for different scouting agencies, uh, covering the WCC, Pac-12, WCC, and more. I also have a bit of a football background, doing some entry-level journalism for local uh, publications out here, and working with uh, the Washington Sports Agency, who are based out of L.A., helping them throughout the 2021-2022 season. Today, we're going to be focusing on undersized guards in the coming NBA draft. We're going to be joined by one such player, Jamari Bouye of the University of San Francisco. I've seen Bouye play a lot. I'm from the University of San Francisco as well, so I've got to see him play through these past five years. And I'm really glad that Rich and TJ got a chance to talk to him and get some insight on what it's like to be playing in the tournament and what he's got planned for the future. So before we get started on all that, gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? I'm, good. I'm a little hectic this week, but I'm doing good. Enjoy some Final Four basketball, I'm hoping. Oh, yeah, of course. I'll start off a little bit. Ochai Baji shot the lights out. Uh, that was really fun. He wasn't touching rim on his three-pointers, which was awesome to see. Love when he's confident, as well as he took smart shots, too. But, of course, we had to talk about a little bit. The Duke loss. I'm very happy you heard last week. Uh, I was very I was praying that I was wrong for the first time in, like, a long time, where I thought UNC was not going to be good enough to take down the Blue Devils and – and this Mike, uh, Mike Krzyzewski run of his last year. But, yeah, I'm glad to be wrong. North Carolina took care of business. Caleb Love gave Coach K and the Blue Devils the business. And I'm I'm glad to see that happen. The uh, evil empire is finally dead, gentlemen. The evil empire is finally <laughs> dead. We can finally move on. Uh, I come from a family that is not very supportive of Duke, to say it lightly, uh, except one person, my younger brother, who, for whatever godforsaken reason, out here on the West Coast, became a Duke fan. So uh, can't can't say enough about, you know, Coach K is a legend, but it's going to be nice to, you know, not have to deal with him every couple of years, give someone else a shot. Does Duke have the worst fans of all time, or do oh, they have the Yeah. yeah uh, easily the worst. I'd it's say. either Duke or the Dallas Cowboys. Duke and the Dallas Cowboys. And we're saying basketball, it's Duke, but Cowboys fans are pretty brutal because, you know, every year it's we dumb boys and it's we losing the playoffs in the first round. Shout out to my 49ers. But every Cowboy fan is also a Duke fan. There's a little overlap there. Right. And and, and, and 95% of Duke fans never went to Duke. Oh, that's the worst part. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't have the grades to get in. They just get on the bandwagon because of who they are, you know? So, yeah. Uh, personally, uh, for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Villanova fan. So, and I felt that they were going to lose. And the way the, ga- the game started actually didn't surprise me. Uh, I think what more surprised me is they uh, got it down to six toward the end. But um, 
you know, not having, I'm not saying they would have won with Justin Moore. Uh, I think he certainly would have helped and they would have had a better chance. I don't think they would have gotten in that hole that they did. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that bugs me about Jay Wright, and this is really difficult to be criticizing a coach who's been to the final four, what, three times in the last seven years, six or seven years. Yeah. Yeah. And two championships over that span. But, you know, he doesn't use his depth uh, during Mm -hmm. the regular season, even, you know, during blowouts, he doesn't really build his depth. He has three um, top 100 guys. One of them I know is a top 25 guy. One is a top 50 guy uh, that are all sitting on his bench and two of them are bigs, you know, and obviously, you know, Bill Nova's lack of size hurt yesterday. Um, But uh, he doesn't let those guys play. Uh, we saw Antoine just a little bit yesterday. And, and, and the, the other thing is, if you'll notice, every year Villanova's guys are always nicked up. Um, and I think that's from playing, you know, heavy minutes, game in and game out. So, and I was blown away by Carolina's guards yesterday. I mean, I mentioned it last week. I thought, I thought they had the advantage uh, at, over Duke there. Uh, and I thought Duke's, but I thought Duke's depth would be the difference. And, and surprisingly, they got good minutes from Theo John and they got great minutes from um, Keels. And, but uh, Williams, you know, really wasn't a factor and uh, AJ wasn't really a factor. Um, so, yeah, and this, you know, it was uh, Davis in the first half for Carolina and Love in the second half for Carolina and Baycott, you know, was steady throughout. Um, yeah quite impressive um who's everybody thinks gonna win that i, I mean i've been thinking about that I, I think this is a tough call i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna ride with the hot hand i think uh i think this is unc's tournament tournament to win i've i get similar vibes um to some of those uconn teams that won is seven seeds where they just they got hot at the right time their best players rose up at the right time and uh their guard play guard play wins in the tournament and their guards have been phenomenal uh and rich like you said it's they're alternating, you know, games. I know Davis was great against Baylor. Uh, Love took over the other night. I mean, if both those guys get hot, you know, Manic, Beard and all, if he can just stay as steady as he is, and, you know, Paycott's going to give you at, – at this point, you can pencil him in for 10 points, 15 rebounds, it seems like. Right. Um, you know, I think sometimes in the tournament, the best team wins, but a lot of times, sometimes the hotter team does. I think they're the hot team, and I think they're going to they're gonna bring this one home. I think Carolina all-tournament. Every game they've played, they've wanted it more. That Baylor game when Manic went out, Baylor got made a run simply because they were the better team. But Carolina, they just wanted it more. And uh, like you said, their guards, their guards are ridiculous. But and like Villanova, like they have Colin Gillespie, but their lack of size killed them. Carolina has both guard play and size with Baycott down low. So I, I'm, I think UNC is going to take it home, and I hope they do. I'm leaning towards Kansas. And I don't want to be the party pooper here on the UNC love. And I love UNC, but I don't want to overreact too much to the, and I think these guys are really good players in college, but I'm not sure how effective they'll be against a Christian Brown of Kansas, as well as Ochai Baji, David McCormack, but UNC's Armando Baycott who also got nicked up toward the end. He came back in, but who knows if he'll be hundred percent when they play uh, against Kansas. But I just, I just lean a bit more towards Kansas in their depth. Even Jalen Wilson, who's not really talked about that much as a power forward combo wing. Uh, he, he's kind of positionless out there. He's 6'9", grabs rebounds, but can also dribble a little bit. I just think Kansas has enough depth and talent that guys on UNC that are hot currently 
they may not be as effective. You know, I think on paper, you know, I tend to agree with TJ. I mean, if you look at him man by man, you, you might lean toward Kansas or you probably would. I think Kansas has a little more depth, but I think really what this game is going to come down to is the big guys. Uh, McCormick is highly inconsistent. Now he's playing on a bad foot. I don't, I don't, I think it's a sprain, but it's been mm-hmm. pain, very painful for him at times. Yeah. Um, now, of course he played really well yesterday, but that was really his first good game in the tournament. And, uh, and we know big Hut has been just like, he's been money, you know, just, just like, um, you know, Shigwe. You know, you can pretty much put your money down, you know, for a, for a double-double. Um, and so I definitely think Baycott's a better player. Uh, as TJ said, he might not be 100%, uh, but I think it might come down to foul trouble, which I hate about college basketball. I really wish they'd go to six fouls. Um, but uh, my gut, all all logic aside, my gut keeps on telling me North Carolina is going to win this game. And I think it's just because their guards have been so impressive, so pro-like, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, that, that's – so my pick is North Carolina, but I definitely could see if Baycott, you know, got in foul trouble where, you know, Carolina would be – this is the first time in forever where I could, can't remember where Carolina didn't have a, at least, you know, two or three big guys. You know, mm. I mean, a couple of years ago, they had like four or five guys who went like six, ten, and above. Um, but they're definitely course, making they're missing Walker Kessler big time right now, right? And Dawson Garcia, Dawson oh, Garcia. I mean, he, he wasn't playing great this year, but he still six eleven. Right, right. And if if Baycott gets in foul trouble, he can't give you what Baycott. I, I don't. He's not a great defender, but he can shoot. He's a better shooter than Baycott, mm-hmm. and he, he's he's big enough to get you some boards and and just basically put a body on McCormick. But um, I think he had a death in the family, so that's why he's been out. Yeah, so. he, yeah they, he had some family, uh, a lot of family just health issues popped up at one time, so he, he took off uh, for home for the season. So um, I'm really excited. You know, it has been a blue blood Final Four, so no matter how it shook up, we were going to get some high-level coaching. Uh, I think that's another thing we're going to see, too, that people aren't talking about is I think self has the advantage of he's been there, he's done that. And um, there is a, you know, UNC obviously has the culture, uh, you know, they have the fan base behind them, but this is a whole nother level for a first time coach. Um, and, you know, you're going against, yes, you, you vanquished Coach K uh, and your reward is another Hall of Fame coach who has, you know, final four championship appearances on his belt. So uh, I'm excited, gentlemen. I, I really can't wait. But it's time to move on to our main topic, and that's going to be the undersized guards that have declared for the draft or guys we have a strong inclination might test the waters. Uh, for us, we're defining these guards as players that are under six foot three. And like I said, the following players we're going to discuss are guys who have declared as early entries. We feel are highly likely to declare or they're automatic entries, which means they've used up all their eligibility. So that's going to be super seniors uh, like the aforementioned Bouye. And I'd like to start it off with a guy that is still actively in the tournament, getting ready to go make a run. And has kind of, I feel, rekindled some of Kansas's, um, I guess, fire that made them really great in the early season. That's going to be Remy Martin. Uh, I was really familiar with him uh, over the past couple of years when he was over at Arizona State. I'm a Pac-12 West Coast guy, so I got to see a lot of them. Uh, they weren't the greatest team, but 20 points, almost 20 points a game. I think it was around 19. 
in a power five conference speak volumes. Um, and I think he is, in my opinion, this whole tournament, I believe he's been the ultimate X factor for a team that already has a high level of talent. There aren't many programs. I mean, Rich mentioned it, you know, UNC's depth hasn't been there. Uh, I think, you know, I love the Zags. Their depth was an issue. You know, um, Remy's the type of guy that you can bring off the bench and it could very easily give you 20 points like that. It's very, it, it comes natural to him. It's what he likes to do. Uh, he missed, I think, almost a month. Um, and, you know, his stats obviously really tailed off. He left from a program where he was the guy to a Kansas team that had an established hierarchy. So he was down to, I think, like eight points, three rebounds. But his shooting numbers still remain pretty strong. And we're seeing in the tournament, he's passed that injury. He's getting a chance to shine. His tournament run, he's up to almost 14 points a game, about six rebounds, almost three assists, shooting 46% from the field. I think he is the ultimate luxury, and I think he could be the X Factor in the championship game. What do you guys think? I I, I agree. I mean, uh, I think we mentioned uh, Remy a couple weeks ago, and everything you said is, is right on the mark. Uh, I think what's outstanding about him uh, is his ability to shoot off the dribble. Mm -hmm. uh, and even this year in a season where he was adjusting to a new team, playing in arguably a tougher defensive conference, um, and injured for a good portion, uh, his, his numbers on synergy, uh, 80, 80 percentile shooting of jumpers off the dribble this, this year. And here's an interesting number because you don't think of Remy being a playmaker, but uh, when you include the results of passes, uh, in the pick and roll, 92nd percentile. So, you know, and you do wow. under Bill Self, he wasn't going to be able, he was had really at a free reign under yeah. Hurley at Arizona State, and he chucked them up all over. He he doesn't do that so much anymore, and he's he's learning. It's very good for him. He's learning to be a point guard. Now, have that said, talking about draft, he's 23 years old. He's only six foot one. has never been a great defender. Um, doesn't really contribute much more than scoring. So I, I think his ability to shoot off the dribble is is pretty unique, even among this group um, that we're looking at. Um, you, I think arguably he's probably the best shooter off the dribble in the group we're looking at. And so I think he's going to get a look, but I don't think he'll be drafted. Yeah, I, I lean towards what Rich just said in terms of I like that he's playing in a system where he's not – having free reign to do whatever he wants, shoot whenever he wants, not pass the ball in certain possessions. He's much more uh, a cog in the machine that is Kansas. But when it comes to his pro prospects, he's, he's going to have to prove it more in terms of his reliability as a shooter, his reliability as a playmaker. He has the quickness. He has the aggressiveness. We've seen it before from his days at Arizona State to go and push the pace and just look to make a play. However, in the NBA game, he's small. He's not that level of athlete where you can just uh, exert his force on the game. So I think he will have to like find the role and be excellent in that specific role. And that might be a change of pace uh, guard that pushes the ball and gets it to your best player really quick. Or he may have to be maybe like re rechange his identity, become more of a playmaker first instead of a score first type of guy. I don't think he'll be able to get that, that uh, level of production in a higher level of game, which is the NBA, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I throw this out to you guys. Um, you know, Rich, you mentioned that he had a free reign and he had the ultimate green light And you know, uh, when he was at Arizona State. How do you think that bodes for his prospects if he decides, you know what, I can take my game overseas where he's going to go to a program where he might re kind of regain that green light? I mean, do you guys see him maybe going overseas and becoming an elite scorer? You know, he's going to have a green light. He'll likely be one of the better players on the team overseas. 
I doubt that would be overly popular there. They sure. Tend, they tend to play more of a structured system. Definitely. Um, you know, in, in you talk to, I mean, we talk to prospect after prospect, and I never hear a prospect. They don't really even think about Europe, most of them. You know, right. they're just, that's like their last resort. I mean, there are some guys like, uh, uh, who's the guy you like, TJ, out of, um, oh, shoot, San Diego State, uh, Matt Mitchell? Now, Mitchell, he did yeah. something before even the draft. He signed he signed a contract, you know, to go overseas. Uh, I think it was in Germany. So, you know, he, yeah, I, I yes, could he be a, a good player over there? Yeah, and I think he'd also be a very good player in the G League. The question is, can mm-hmm. he – can he come off the – can his scoring – because he's never been an elite shooter in, in terms of uh, efficiency, like, from the three-point line. Like, I, I think he's around 35, 36, 37% guy. But yeah. what is elite about him is his ability to create space and knock down those shots. So when you look at him in that category, as I just said, just this season, he's at the 80th percentile. And I bet you last year he was even higher, you know, when he was putting in 20 points a game. So – uh, yeah. Um, could he, could he play in Europe? Sure. Um, and I think he'll probably be, you know, 15 point night guy in the G league. It's just, it's, can he take the next step? Right. So going on to another guy that we got to see in the tournament who also, uh, was one of the focal points of one of the bigger upsets from Arkansas knocked down the, the Zags is going to be JD Note. I'm really curious as to your guys' views on him personally, uh, in that game, I believe he shot the ball almost, I think, 30 times. He had quite a few shot attempts. He's a very high volume guy. Uh, with that being said, I know Arkansas statistically, they don't really have any other big scores. I believe they might only have one or two other guys in double digits. Uh, he's their, he's their leader yeah, offensively for sure. By far. Um, you know, so how do you guys view a player like that who, you know, in college basketball, I think sometimes there has to be some leeway with percentages because the talent, you know, can very quickly evaporate under your, your alpha, you know? So I see a guy who averaged 18 a game, but shot under 40% or he was like close, you know, where do you guys see JD Note going now that he just recently declared um, and statistically had a decent season efficiency wise, not so much. I can start us off with JD Note. I love to see the improvement. I never thought he could be this type of prolific score from his last year, the year before this year at Arkansas. But I don't see it in terms of him fitting into an NBA team, to be honest. Uh, rooting for him, he's under. I love. I should have said this earlier. I tend to root for undersized guards more than other archetypes of players. It's harder, and it takes a, like a high level of skill and aggressiveness. And I really want to see those type of guys uh, make it in the NBA. But using my brain with J.D. Note, he just doesn't do enough. That's not him shooting the ball or taking a lot of shot attempts, in my estimation. He 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 tries hard. Now, obviously, Musselman's a really good coach, so you're definitely going to try hard and defensively. Um, but I don't I don't see that really translating in the NBA in terms of him being like a point of attack guy. Um, but yeah, J.D. Note, he's a really good college basketball player. I, I just don't see him cracking an NBA line or a NBA roster at this point, unless he becomes a knockdown shooter or becomes more disciplined as a player. Um, Cause even this year, he only shot, he, he shot sub 30% from three this season. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I just don't see it with him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the 18 points per game on paper looks nice, but, and I know we can give leeway to percentages, but like 
sub 40 from the field and sub 30 from three is pretty bad. And in March uh, in, in the tournament, those dip down to 31 from the field and 22 from three. And it's just, I, like you said, I, I can't see a spot for him on an NBA roster. Yeah, he's 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 pr- pretty much a rim attacker. That's what he does. He loves to attack the rim, um, and he doesn't really have much of a shot. So that, that's 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 huge. Um, the one thing I will I do like about Note is he's pretty tenacious defender, um, and, uh, and and of these guys we're talking about, he's probably one of the bigger ones. Um, but again, twenty three years old and can't shoot. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for him. I mean, you know, G league, sure. Europe, sure. But NBA, eh, I, I don't see it. Yeah. I think this is a guy that, you know, I believe he didn't have any stars coming out of high school or if he did, it was very lowly ranked. And I think this is a story of a guy who, who reached his potential. He maxed out and is a prime example of sometimes, you know, being the lead player on a team that won two games in the tournament is a pretty solid career and is a hell of a lot better than my basketball career when I stopped playing after JV. So I can't really complain, but I agree with you guys. I think, you know, efficiency has to matter at some point. You can't just give a guy a green light forever and always. Um, you know, it was a really good run for him. And to, again, to come from a background that's not highly touted, um, you know, I have to respect it, but I just don't think the NBA is going to come calling G League is probably where he's going to max out as a pro, um, which leads me to another guy, which I think is a very interesting story, uh, where he's looking at a guy like Note, who kind of didn't really have the background and kind of found his way and ended his career on kind of a high note. Uh, this is another guy who I kind of have mixed feelings about. I don't know his entire background, but James Akinjo, who I now believe has played for three different teams. He's at Arizona, obviously just was at Baylor and then was at Georgetown, had some issues and left. So there may be something there off the court, but, you know, I like Akinjo as a player. I, he's from Oakland, so I actually remember watching him play as a sophomore. I was a senior in high school, I believe. And so, you know, I definitely saw the talent there. But I don't, I don't know if I'm really sold. Uh, I, I think, like, his efficiency is not great. And, you know, he's on a deep roster, so you would hope that, you know, this is a guy that can maybe get some better looks, be a little more effective. He's on a roster with, I think, four guys, all average double digits. Um, I know three were all in that 13 to 14 range. So, I also, like I said, I have questions about the constant transferring. I think there's something to be said about a college player who can stick it out, can develop, turn to a leader. Um, You know, when you get to the NBA, a lot of these guys are going to be role players most likely. And so you learn how to develop into a role. You you start off, maybe you're a freshman, not playing a lot. And as you grow and develop into maybe a a leader and a star, I think that can emotionally and mentally have some advantages when you get to the next level. But I'm curious as to what you guys think for a player that, you know, Baylor kind of underperformed, obviously got knocked out by UNC. Well, Akinjo left Georgetown because he was in the, he was, uh, I, no, I can't give you the details, but there was an sure. ugly, ugly off-court incident um, that he, I believe, was involved in some way. So was Josh LeBanc, who transferred, okay. to, who same, transferred same, to LSU same and then went to UAB. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, I believe, I, I'm I'm like 90% sure that's what happened there in Georgetown. Okay. Uh, I think with Arizona, I, I think uh, he knew that Crease's time was coming up and, mm-hmm. um, and at best, plus a new coach, you know? Sure. So I could understand him leaving Arizona. Um, the problem I have with the Kinjo, he's got great speed. He, he, yeah. he is another tenacious defender. 
Uh, and unlike a couple of the other guys we were talking about, he has always been a, a good passer. Um, Definitely. And a high assist guy, good turnover ratio. Um, the problem is his efficiency has been horrible. He's never in his four seasons. I'm just looking at the numbers here. The best he shot was this year. 38, 38%. 38% for the field. Yep. And the best he ever shot, what well, he did <clears throat> last year in Arizona, make 41% of his threes, but that was on low volume. That was only on two a game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think, uh, he, you know, he has the option to stay. Um, maybe if he can have a nice, consistent shooting year and keep up the defense and keep up the uh, the assists and, and um, you know, keep the turnovers down, yeah, he might have a shot. But uh, I think this year, if he if he did stay in the draft, uh, I don't think he'd be drafted. Yeah, I, I would agree. As a Baylor fan, um, I've watched a lot of Akinjo. And I remember when, when I got the news that he was transferring to Baylor, I was like, okay, we have someone to fill in that Davion Mitchell role of a small guard, scrappy sure. defender. Uh, I do think his best asset is his passing. He is a very good passer. But like you said, his his inability to be efficient is is really is really bad. And like even in the tournament, he shot six for twenty against UNC. And you know throughout the season, really, there was times where I'm watching this Baylor team, and I'm like, man, like Flagler would have hit that, or Cryer would have hit that, or um, you know. So I, I don't think there is a spot for him in the NBA, but definitely definitely a guy I can see making it through the G League. Yeah, I don't have too much else to add. It comes down to the jumper for me. Depending on the on the night, he can look like a, a potential draft pick. Late first, second round. It depends on depending on how the night goes for him, like a really good game. But on a on the different night where he's missing a lot of his perimeter shots or he's not playing uh as well or running the offense as well, he just doesn't look like a draftable player. And again, the margin for error for someone that's six one, he's going on twenty-two, I think, by the end of this year, is really small. And he just hasn't shown enough to be consistent as a floor general that can make the defense pay if they go under a screen. Right now, if he's in the NBA, you're going to go under the screen every time on him and daring him to shoot, even though he has nice ball handling, has nice burst off of first step. It doesn't matter if you can't make the shot that's open that the NBA team or the, the defense will give you. Um, so if I'm a Ken Joe, go to the G League, working that rep out the jumper, make sure it's clean off the catch first, then try to hopefully get off the dribble and then try to go and like give your best, I guess, attempt to make it into the rotation. Yeah, TJ, I think that's a really good point. I know we, right before we got started today, I know we had briefly had that conversation about how the margin for error for these smaller guards is a lot lower because physically they just don't bring you the same versatility that, you know, a six, 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 seven wing can. And, you know, I think that's something that we see is if you want to excel as, you know, a six foot, six, one guard, you have to have something kind of freakish about you, you know, for a Dame Lillard, it's his shooting range for a John Moran, it's his athleticism, you know, his explosiveness. And I just don't really see a Kinjo has any of that. Like he's a solid player, but I don't see that next level skill that you go. He's a, yeah, he's okay here, but he can attack the rim like no other, or this guy has range out the gym. I just don't see that, you know? So I totally agree that, you know, I just don't know if he's gonna be able to put all that package together and, and do anything with it at six one. Um, we did mention that this guy was going to be joining us uh, for an interview um, later. So Jamari Bouye is a San Francisco guy. My school got to watch him play plenty. Uh, obviously, the world was kind of introduced to him uh, from his big Murray State game. I've seen him play quite a bit. 
some really great smoothness to his game. He plays with a good pace as at USF for five years, uh, just kind of plays like a savvy veteran almost. My questions about him are how much more room is there for him to grow. I think he's almost 23. Uh, Rich, I, may, I is he almost 23? Uh, yeah, nearly. Yeah. Almost, almost 23. I, I just have some questions. Like his statistical progression kind of halted between last year and this. I, I think his stat line was almost identical, actually. And so I just start to wonder, like, where is the peak at? Like, has he already hit that? If he's hit his wall can I groom him to anything else or is he what he is at this point? And that's obviously a question. A lot of people ask with the draft. And then there's the physical profile. He's a very lean kind of lanky guard. And again, plays smooth, but I just, I don't see that next level explosiveness. I don't see that length. I don't see that leaping ability. Uh, I like the guy just because he's local and I've got to see him, but I'm really curious to see, because I think that Murray state game opened some eyes, but I also think for people who haven't seen him, his entire resume, they might be a little overhyped on a player that had a monster game. Yeah, I, I, um, he, he's one of the more efficient guys, or maybe the most efficient guy we're going to talk right. about today. Um, and but he's also older, and unlike some of these guys, you know, like uh, Note and Akinjo and Mike Miles, you know, they, they got some muscle on them, you know. Um, and Jamari is on the skinny side. On the positive, you know, and, and, and I think what concerns me the most is he really does struggle to finish at the rim. Mm -hmm. So that takes, that takes a big piece. And if he's going to struggle at the University of San Francisco level, he's definitely going to struggle at the NBA level. Uh, the one thing I will say that's that's positive about that is he's very good with runners and floaters, so that can can balance that out some. Um, speed and quickness is not extraordinary, but it's good. Um, his vertical, I would say, is probably below average for somebody his size. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I, I love his efficiency, and I think he has a chance to be, you know, a very late second-round pick. Um, but, yeah, that's and, – and we know what the story is there. You know, if you're drafted 55 or 59 or whatever, um, you know, you're, you're going straight to the G League. That's where you're going to play, and, and um, pretty much. And um, we'll see. But uh, do love his efficiency, but – He's definitely, he's definitely no lock to make it in the NBA. Uh, we were fortunate enough that Jamari took some time out of his busy schedule to talk with TJ and Rich. He just discussed what this past season meant to him with USF making the tournament and kind of what his future and hoops looks like. So we're really glad to have him come on and share some of his insight with the team. It's time to bring on our first guest, Jamari Bouye, a six foot two, 180 super senior guard from the University of San Francisco. Jamari is USF's all time leader in games played with 160, all time leader in wins with 98. He is a first team all wax selection for two straight years. In both of those seasons, he finished in the top 10 of the conference for points per game, assists per game, steals per game, player efficiency rating, and win shares. This past season, he averaged 17.8. Three points, five five rebounds, three point nine assists, and one point eight steals per game. Welcome, Jamari. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm uh, glad to be here for sure. All right. So before we talk about the future, I I'm going to 
talk about the recent past. Uh, you led USF, USF to the their first tournament uh, since 1998. Uh, and in the first round, you came oh so close to, to uh, beating uh, Murray State. That game went into overtime and actually, I think, was tied with about a minute to go in overtime. Um, if you had won, you would have faced St. Peter's in the na- next round. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that game? How often do you think about it? Uh, or have you just completely just kind of moved on? Uh, I definitely think about it all the time. So I think uh, it was a fun game to be a part of and a fun experience. I um, wish we could have got the win. You know, I think me and my teammates did everything we possibly could, and it just didn't didn't end in our favor. But um, I think um, if we would have beat them, I think St. Uh, Peter's would have been a tough game as well. I think many people thought that St. Peter's would be the 15th seed and be an easy game, but um, they proved everyone wrong for sure. Right. Right. Most definitely. You know, the one thing I couldn't help but think was Masalski. I mean, he led your team in rebounding. He led your team in block shots. Uh, and, you know, in that Murray State game, you know, they consistently attacked the paint, you know, off drives. And um, they also, you know, got beat you on the boards. They were plus eight on the boards. And, you know, I personally have to think, you know, in such a close game, he would have probably made the difference. I mean, is that is that something you like <laughs> sit around and like say, damn, you know? Uh, absolutely. I think if we had Masalski, that the game would have been different for us and for them as well. I think he's a dominant force when it comes to rebounding and blocking shots. And he also puts the ball in the basket. So I think the game would have been a little different. I don't think uh, I would have had as many points or. Uh, guys from Murray State wouldn't have had as many rebounds and points as well, but I think the game would have been a little different. Right. I'm going to pass it over to TJ. What's up, Jamari? Thanks for hopping on the pod with us. And the question I want to ask is, you, you obviously received a lot of love after that tournament performance. You got love from places like Bleach Report. Players like Nick Young and CJ McCollum were tweeting about you, about how you balled out against Murray State. How did it feel to get that kind of recognition? Uh, I felt good. I think uh... – Having guys, obviously, that play in the NBA at a higher level recognize my game and appreciate my game is something that I should be proud of for sure. I think uh, it kind of makes me a little more inspired or motivated to get to that level for sure, but I think it's just something to be proud of. And I want to move on to how your coach at USF, Coach Todd Golden, he's leaving to go over to Florida. How do you feel about that that move for him? I'm happy for him. I think that he deserves uh, a Florida job like that, an SEC job, I think. He's proven to, to the nation that he can win games at any school he's at. And I think um, he made the right decision for his family and um, his his sake as well. I think it's hard to turn down an offer like that and an SEC job. And um, so I'm definitely happy for him. Uh, real quick follow-up. I'm curious, what does like what's one thing about his coaching style that sort of stands out? Um, I say that they're real big on analytics for sure. And I think not too many th- teams around the country are big on analytics, but I think uh, as you break it down and step by step and shots by shots, and I think it kind of shows that which shots are good shots and what things the things you do on the court, which is bad and which is good. And I think uh, breaking down all the numbers and analyzing it the way he does definitely helps the team. All right, this is an un- <clears throat> excuse me an unplanned question, but I- I'd like to follow up on that. Um, what did uh, what did those analytics say that affected how you approach the game? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you much about myself. I think that I didn't really, I mean, I paid attention to the numbers as much as, uh, not as much as he did. I, but I think uh, he did a better job at breaking it down with other coaches and seeing that 
Uh, say, for instance, mid-range shots don't go in as much as wide-open three-pointers or catch-and-shoot threes and stuff like that. But um, I think they did a really good job of analyzing all that data and um, uh, bringing it to our team in a different in a different kind of perspective. Right, right. Um, all right, so my planned question was, uh, was to talk about the future, and, you know, you're automatically going to be in the draft as a senior, uh, super senior. Um, can you give us an outline of the steps that are, you're going to have to take moving forward? And what are your expectations from the entire process? Um, I'm trying to take it day by day. You know, I'm not trying to think about the future, or plan ahead or look ahead too much. But I think just working out here and there, not here and there, every day, basically, and getting bigger and stronger and trying to get an NBA body and just um, just trying to build some more NBA tools and learn the NBA offense and how things go and just becoming a better shooter, passer, free throw shooter, and all that above. But um, definitely hitting some camps this summer and um, hopefully hitting summer league and then see, see where it goes. Well, what uh, have you signed with an agent? I haven't yet. Okay. All right. So, I mean, once, once uh, I guess you get with them, they're going to give you like a whole plan of you're going to do this, this day, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely, I, yeah. I, w- I would assume, yeah. Okay. I'm going to pass it back to TJ. Yeah, and along the same lines, have you received thus far? Have you received any NBA feedback? Uh, I've, I've, I haven't personally received feedback, but I've heard good things from uh, top Coach Kyle Golden and um, our USF coach now, and um, other coaches and other people that I've um, built relationships with for sure. Got you. And what aspects, what specific aspects of your game will you be working on leading up to the draft? I know you said shooting, dribbling, but are there like a particular? Um, part of your game you're trying to hone in on? I think the particular part is just getting bigger, stronger. I think people might think I'm a little too skinny or too fragile because uh, I'm 6'2", 180, but I think uh, just getting bigger and stronger and working out of the pick and roll and uh, working on my mid-range shots as well. And very quick follow-up, how, how are you trying to get bigger and stronger? Is just more lifting heavier weights, changing your diet? Uh, I think just both. I'm not lifting too much of heavier weights, but definitely changing my diet you know, eating three meals a day, whether three or four meals a day and some snacks and protein shakes and this and this and that, but uh, definitely lifting as much too. All right. If you want to gain weight, you should hang with me. (laughs) (laughs) I gain gain weight just by looking at food. Um, uh, So there's a new trend lately. And I, I, I was just curious, um, international teams have actually been reaching out to players as soon as they grab or as soon as their season's over. Has anybody from international ball reached out to you? Uh, I haven't heard too much from the international side of everything, but um, I'm sure uh, once I sign an agent, I'll hear it from a bunch of international teams as well. What's your feelings about playing over there? <clears throat> uh, I mean, if the NBA doesn't work out and uh, I don't have opportunities there, I'll definitely go play overseas and, figure out where to go to, but I, I'm sure I just want to keep playing basketball for as long as possible. Right. Let's say, you know, cause the G league doesn't pay great. Let's say I'm just going to throw this, you know, scenario out there. Let's say I, I forget what the G league salaries are up to now, but let's say somebody in Germany offered you twice that much. Would you, would you play in Germany? Um, I'd, I'd definitely be a consideration. I'm not too sure what I, what I would do, you know, on this decision, if the decision were to come in hand and in front of me, I'd probably have to make a decision. But I think I want to stay in the G League for some years and figure out some stuff and just try to make my way to the NBA as that's my ultimate goal. I think that I can play in the NBA, so I wouldn't just want to bail on it right away. Okay. I'm going to pass it back to TJ. TJ? 
All right, my, I couldn't. No, I'm sorry. I tried to unmute myself. It took a minute to get the mask off. <laughs> it's like you fell uh, asleep on us. I don't know. It's just I want to lay it. Uh, what do you think is your biggest obstacle when it comes to making it in the NBA? Um, biggest obstacle. Um, I'd say my biggest obstacle. Oh, dang, that's a good question. Um, biggest obstacle. I'd say my biggest obstacle would be just if a team were to take a chance on me, trying to find my role and embrace my role and becoming the best in that role, whether it's a off-the-bench guard or a starter guard or a guard that doesn't touch the floor at all, just embracing that role and being a good teammate and just trying to figure out all the right things to do. Yeah, before you get that opportunity to, to I guess, prove yourself in that role, how you try to convince NBA decision-makers that you should be a player that they take a chance on? Uh, by just showing them my work ethic and showing them how good my basketball IQ is and how long that I've – how many hours and how many days I've put into the game and to become a better player and just trying to improve every day, whether it's on the court or in the weight room or just off the court things as well, just trying to show that I belong and trying to show that uh, I'm doing everything possible and every, working hard on my side. Yeah, and I'm curious, is there a player that you model your game after or someone that you try to look toward and try to take bits and pieces of? I think I take bits and pieces from everyone's game, whether it's LeBron James and just being an unselfish guy and uh, taking over when the time is necessary or whether it's James Harden and working on step backs and different moves like that. But um, I'll say three guys, LeBron, James Harden, and I try to go off uh, Shea Gildas a little bit. That's good. All right, got one last question for you. Oh, actually two, uh, but they'll be quick. Um, can you give us one thing about your game? You know, even people like ourselves who have watched you quite a bit, um, uh, in say that is there one thing that maybe something that we haven't picked up about your game that you think a lot of people don't pick up about your game or don't know about you personally, you know, a trait like that that's positive? Um, something like is there, is there one thing that stands out to you that you, you wish people knew more, you know, could see that in you? Yeah, I think, um, not too many people see my athleticism. I think it, I don't display it enough on the court. I you know I get some dunks in transition, but I think I'm more athletic than people think. Okay. Okay. You know, one thing that came to my mind was I knew you had opportunities to transfer and you stayed at San Francisco the whole time. And then you were finally rewarded with a tournament berth. But, um, you know, I think loyalty uh, is, is a trait that, you know, is to understated these days. Absolutely. I okay. think I'm going to say one thing. I think basically showing loyalty and love, to the people that put you in the right position to something that's very important in life. I think uh, me coming back to USF was an important decision in my life. And I think I kind of owed it to the people that brought me into the division one basketball world and brought me on this stage. So I think coming back was one of the best decisions I've made for sure. Okay. And then one last fun question. Uh, who do you think is going to win it all in the final four? Um, I would love to say the Dons, but we didn't get that far, but I'm going <laughs> to say, I'm going to say the Duke blue devils win it all. All right. What do you think about that, TJ? Yeah, uh, I, I don't like it. I'm not a big Duke guy. I'm not a, a Coach K guy. I actually also chose them to win, just using my brain and just knowing the talent that's on the court on their on their side. But, yeah, uh, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> we uh, – last week's show, we all – we basically – three, three of the four of us picked uh, Duke to win, and TJ wasn't happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamaris, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. We wish you the best and uh, please stay in touch.
It was great talking with Jamari, and it will definitely be fun watching him transition to the pros. So from one super senior on the WCC to another, uh, this is a player that I also got to see quite a bit of. BYU always seems to be a thorn in my side. Uh, whenever I root for the Zags, they always happen to have a good year and knock us out of the WCC tournament. Well, that's going to be Alex Barcelo. Uh, I got to see him play quite a bit, but I'm curious if you guys got a chance. Uh, BYU wasn't as strong as they have been in the past, but uh, he obviously came from Arizona, spent the last, I believe, two or three years at BYU. You guys had any experience watching him play? I think he's got a pretty uh, interesting skill set or a use, useful skill set, I should say. I've seen Alex quite a bit <clears throat> um, myself. Um, and uh, he's a fun player to watch. You know, he, he kind of plays uh, with that European, mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of that European flair to him. Um, and uh, I guess what I like the best about him is his shooting. I mean, he is a 43% career three-point shooter. Um, on the downside, and, and he's got a nifty dribble. Uh, he can make some, uh, he makes some nifty passes. Um, I think what... He's not a brilliant shot creator. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what's lacking in his game is, you know, he doesn't have blinding speed and uh, or quickness. I mean, he's, he has a good handle, but he still sometimes it's not good enough to buy him space. Um, and I, I think that's what my biggest concern is with Alex is, does he have the athleticism uh, to play at the next level? Um but he definitely can shoot it. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, you throw in the nifty dribbling, the nifty passing and the shooting. And you have a guy that's like, Hmm, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a good look at him. I'm curious. I watched a little bit of Barcelo, not as much this year as I did the year before, but I'm pretty familiar with like how he plays basketball. I'm not so sure. And I agree everything the shooting he already has a ready made number one skill set, which is his jump shot. I'm not sure about the degree to his pick and roll game, like how how effective is he as a pick and roll ball handler and making multiple reads. Again, I, I didn't watch as much this year, so maybe he has taken leaps. But from what I can recall, I wasn't really blown away by how he read the game. And obviously in the NBA, pick and roll is, is the preeminent play that a point guard has to be able to run and not just be able to do one or two things, but do a multitude of things. And since he's not a super athlete, he has to be a wizard with making decisions. Um, again, he's not like if he does make it in, onto an NBA roster, he's not going to be a, a starter most likely. But if he does get a backup role, second or third string point guard, he will have to command an offense and initiate pretty well. And I don't see him being a 6-2 a off-ball off spot-up guy. I think he has to have that sort of higher level decision-making. I'm a little bit questionable about that. So it's, I don't think he'll get drafted. If he does, he'll be very low in the second round. But regardless, he'll probably have to prove himself. And if he can be that sort of initiator that an NBA point guard would have to be, then he, he might have a chance to make it. He is, uh, according to Synergy, he's modest. Like he's in the 70th percentile with passes and without passes for pick and roll. Um, defense is a, he's a, that's another thing is a liability with him. Um, you know, he's not a great defender at all. And the, uh, the other thing is, um, and this is probably what bothers me the most about Alex, as much as I enjoy watching his game, uh, a lot of times, not always, 
but a lot of times he seems to come up a little empty against better teams. Um, so, you know, he's had big games against Gonzaga. Um, and I, I know that for sure. Uh, but I've also seen him come up pretty empty against Gonzaga. Or he's got a lot of points in a garbage time, you know. So BYU would be trailing by 25, and they cut it down to 15 because he gets hot in the in the last 10 minutes or something. But um, yeah, I th- I think it's it's pretty much a stretch. But you know what? He'd be a really nice European player. Now there's a guy who would be fit in very well in, in Europe um, because you know. Yeah, he's not super quick, but, you know, that's that's uh, one of the common traits about, you know, European ball is, you know, it's not as nearly a fast a game. Yeah, it's more of a heady game. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is a guy out of everyone on our list that we've talked about so far who probably suffers the most in terms of not having that height. Because if he was 6'6", um, you know, you can at least go, all right, you're, you're going to be our Duncan Robinson. We're going to put you in the corner. You're going to be a knockdown spot up guy for us. But, you know, like TJ said, at 6'2", can you really go just kind of have him play off the ball in a catch-and-shoot role? Um, I don't I don't think so. I just don't know if he's doesn't have the height. He's going to get exposed if you put him out on the wing too much. So this is, I think, out of all the guys we've talked about, because he's not an elite athlete, this is a player that if he was 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", I think would be in a really good spot, uh, be getting a much better look. I mean, his volume there, I think he was 42% from three, and he was taking like six threes a game. So – Really great shot making along the perimeter. Carried the big offensive load for BYU, but you know, out of everybody we've talked about, he is the guy who probably misses those couple extra inches the most um, in terms of you know the impact. But I think he'd yeah, I think he'd be awesome in Europe. You know, shoot the ball, play smart, five year player. But going from our super seniors, guys who have spent a long time, it seems like they've played you know ten years of college ball. We're going to the other opposite of that spectrum, this is a player I'm not very familiar with outside of his name and outside of his involvement with Overtime Elite, and that's Montero, uh, G. Montero. Rich, I know you and I have discussed him. I don't really have much to say on him, I'll be honest. So this is a player I'm going to lead to you guys to kind of lead the way because I know he's had some success overseas, which, you know, does bode well because that's playing at a high level as well. But I don't really know too much about Overtime Elite. What do you guys got for me? Because Gene's kind of an anomaly. Well, yeah, uh, to be honest, I don't. Uh, there's not a lot of information out there with overtime elite and uh, I haven't really pursued it yet too much with their communications guy. Um, And and one of the reasons is, is because he basically downgraded the level of play. He went from playing in the Spanish B division to playing basically AAU basketball. Um, Now, why did he do that? I would assume because he's probably making more money. (laughs) Um, I think they were all guaranteed um, uh, six digits. So I believe so. So he's probably thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And that would be my guess because if he was looking for exposure, he'd get more exposure if he's playing in Europe, because who the hell has seen any overtime elite? Um, I know some of their games are on YouTube. Uh, and I know they have private press, but you got to fly to Atlanta to go watch them. Um, so basically what I'm going to talk about right now is what I know from last year. I did see um, one of his games from this year. Um, 
and I would say he, I don't, I couldn't say that he looks any that much different than he did last year. But what you have is a 6'2 guy who's uh, about 18 and a half, a uh, small wingspan, not a great wingspan, uh, 6'4. He's from the Dominican Republic. And like, like I said, last year he played Spanish B division, which if you want to equate that to college basketball, I would say that would be like a mid-major. Um, and he averaged there, he averaged as a 17-year-old, he averaged unbelievable numbers for a 17-year-old at that level, which was 17 points a game, uh, about six rebounds a game, 4.4 assists, 2.5 steals. And he had a assist turnover ratio of 1.5, which is, is pretty good. Um, he shot 43% from the field, 30% from three, and 84% from the foul line. Now, I do know in Overtime Elite this year, he was their leading scorer. And going into that, he was going into that, he was the only player that really I was overly interested in watching. Um, in terms of speed, it's good. I, I wouldn't say he's elite. Uh, in terms of speed and quickness, he has a very nifty handle, but it can, it can tend to get away from him. Uh, and he does struggle with turnovers. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, his vertical isn't overly impressive. Um, you know, sometimes when he gets to the rim, he's not, he's not the guy that's going to finish with dunks. It's going to be layups. I uh, can finish with both hands. Um, I think where he is really good and one of the better uh, players in in this, especially given his age, uh, is pulling up off the dribble. Um, and he's also a very good foul shooter. So shooting is something that a lot of these guys uh, that we've been talking about really do struggle with. And I think, you know, even though he only shot 30% last year, hopefully eventually we'll get his stats from this year. But again, to me, Overtime Elite is basically this glorified AAU um, so I don't know how much stock he could put in that, but, um, I think he's going to be, a, a, a at least a solid three point shooter. He's also a very creative, creative dribbler, creative passer, um, very European like in that sense. Um, so yeah, I, I think he, you know, it, it's going to depend, uh, hopefully he'll, he'll test out at the combine and we'll get a better sense of his his speed and athleticism right now, I'm saying it's probably, you know, above average, but not elite. Um, but maybe if I'm wrong in that category, because of course I'm just guessing, uh, educated guess, but still, uh, if I'm wrong, you know, maybe he'll, um, make the lottery, but right now I'd say he's a solid first round pick, maybe the lottery, depending on, you know, what he shows the pros in, in the combine type of environments. For sure. Um, I think, as you said, he's not an elite athlete, but, but he does, he kind of makes up for that around the basket with his craftiness. As you said, he can finish with both hands. Um, and a crafty dribbler, I know, like, uh, I know he does, he's a very good dribbler, very good passer. I know he likes that mid-range jump shot a lot, that pull-up mid-range jumper. And, you know, I think with, you know, a, gar a guard like this overseas where you don't see too much of him, but you do see a lot of potential with him. Even three, as you said, three-point shooting, 30% but I think there's a lot of potential for him to be a plus three-point shooter in the NBA. Yeah, uh, especially from the foul line. I mean, if you watch him from the foul line, um, and I, I, I did see him, you know, shoot foul shots this year, uh, 
you know, last year he shot 84%, and he's got a very solid uh, stroke from the from the free throw line, and I don't see anything wrong uh, with his shot off the dribble. And he, you know, he takes a lot of shots off the dribble. So, as you would expect from a smaller guard. So, yeah, um, I really was excited about him. I wish we could see more of him. Their season's over. Um but uh, I'll pass along when I find those links. Like I said, I just started communicating with the guy, uh, the SID of Overtime Elite, if you want to call it. So I'll pass along more information as I get more uh, availability to film and stuff like that. Right on, guys. I'm really curious to see uh, what he can become and turn into. I know, like, international prospects, especially ones that are young, kind of can be a crapshoot. You don't really know what you're getting into. So as a player whose name I've been hearing a lot, but I haven't seen anything about, he's one of the more intriguing guys for me. Don't know a lot. Haven't seen a lot. Hopefully he tests well and can kind of, you know, showcase, you know, potential, which is also the most dangerous word in sports, in my opinion. But we'll see. I mean, I think there's a there's a talent there. You know, I just think the thing with the NBA is you get these kids so young and how quickly can they adjust? And, you know, next thing you know, they're on their second contract and you still don't really know what you have. So um, excited to see what you can bring to the table. But one thing I will say, it's rare when guys his age put up numbers like that um, that, that don't at least turn out to be a pretty good player. Now, admittedly, it was, you know, Spanish B division. Um, but they have the regular division, then they have what they call gold, then they have silver. So he was in silver. Um but, you know, those numbers that he put up as 17-year-old, and he did play some action in Euro Cup and for the first, mm-hmm. for, the, for the ACB team, the top level. So, I, you know, I, I'm very, I, I was very encouraged by that, you know, when I saw his final numbers at the end of the year. And so uh, I, I doubt he's going to be a complete failure. The question is, is he going to be a star? Or is he just going to be like, a, you know, Tail Maldon or somebody like that who's – uh, you know, just kind of a backup type guy. Fills the role. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I, we'll, we'll see. You know, that's the beauty of the NBA nowadays. You got an international game with international prospects. So, you know, it's kind of the fun of the draft is who hits and who doesn't. This next player is a guy that I'm not very high on. Uh, I've only seen, I think, play maybe two or three times this year, but Mike Miles. Um, not really, in my opinion, I just wasn't really overall impressed with him this year. I believe his stats, especially his efficiency pretty much dropped across the board. If I remember correctly, I just, I mean, obviously against Arizona, that TCU had a really high energy as a whole team about them, but even then he was pretty awful from the field. Um, We've talked about efficiency with a lot of these guys. For me, at least guys like Bouye stayed steady and other guys have kind of elevated, even though it's just, you know, small percentage bumps, but he played almost the exact same minutes but his field goal percentage dropped. His three-point percentage, I think, went off a cliff. Uh, you know, I just I just don't really see it. I'm curious as your guys' take, because this is the first play we've talked about that I don't really see, in my opinion, at all. Um, I, I don't like to be a negative. I think, you know, like I said, these guys are a hell of a lot better basketball players than I ever was, but I, I just don't see it. What do, what do you guys think? So I watched a little bit of his freshman year. I think the first game I actually watched, he played against – uh, Kate Cunningham at OK State uh, mm-hmm. the year before last. And he played over the summer for FIBA U19, which is where I watched him much more than I have before that season, his freshman year. 
And at FIBA U19, if I had to like remember and guess, he was probably maybe the fifth or fourth most important player on that team, which is pretty impressive because guys like Chet Holmgren was on that squad. Sure. Um, Jay Knight was on that team. And obviously this year, second sophomore year, as a player on TCU, he, like you said, his, his averages went down in terms of his efficiency. I think his points per game went up. But in terms of my overall viewpoint of him, I, I like, even though he's small, he doesn't really play like he's undersized in a way. Hopefully that makes sense. But I don't think of him as just like, oh, he's only 6'1". When I see him out on the court, he's not really like, he's, I don't, I don't want to say he's stout, but he's not a small dude. He plays with a physicality. He he doesn't really look under man, undersized. As well as, I think he's a fine ball handler. And again, I, I do want to preface this by saying I maybe watched maybe two full games of TCU this year, which is not a large sample size. But from what I recall, especially from Phoebe U19, I liked his game in terms of his his like his playmaking and him just leading a, a very talented uh, under-19 team for USA. Johnny Davis is also on that squad. Um, so it's really high-level stuff. But Mike Miles, I think he probably needs another year. He's only he's going on 20, if I remember correctly. So he's yeah. not an old player at all. So I think another year seasoning has proven a jumper. His three-pointer is not the great. It doesn't look bad. It just doesn't fall enough to, to my liking or just other evaluators' liking. But he does have ingredients, I think. He's not a non-athlete, too. He actually has some burst as well and aggression. So I think Mike Miles, if he plays another year and refines his jumper, refines his, his finishing pack, I think he's not the great finisher around the basket from what I recall when watching him play this year. I think he can have a, a like find a pathway to be a late first rounder, not this year, but next year. Yeah, as far as I know, Miles has the option to return. Um, he caught a lot of people's eye, like TJ's, at the under-19 thing. Um, you have to remember, though, I mean, that's that's a small slice. Um, I, I'm not saying a lot of the guys who did well there seem to, to, to use that as a stepping stone. Um, Miles, however, didn't really seem to, you know, get the same kind of boost from it. And he was one of those guys you just you, you have, always have like a handful of guys every year that every time you go to watch, they have a stinker of a game. And he, yeah. <laughs> he, fell, he fell into that territory. I mean, he, 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 um, he definitely can light it up at times. Uh, I think his strength is, you know, his, his combination of, you know, muscle and athleticism. Um, I think he's a good ISO player. But his efficiency is uh, horrible. Um, he averages almost three assists or three turnovers a game. Um, you know, he shot less than thirty percent from three this year. He, he shot uh, only thirty-eight percent from the field. Um, you know, his PPP for overall uh, his points per possession was at the thirty-second percentile, which is dismal. Even when you throw in assists, and he averaged. Uh, almost four assists a game. Even when you throw in assists, he was so inefficient that he still only comes up to the 44th percentile uh, for points per possession plus assists. So, yeah, I think, uh, Miles, uh, a lot of people have been talking him up since the summer, and I think that's one of the unfortunate things is, is people, you know, watch a guy for, you know, a week or so, and they, they get it locked in their head that, you know, 
this guy's going to be a second round pick or whatever. And then that guy gets the feeling that he's, you know, ready to go into the NBA. And I just don't think Mike Miles is ready for the NBA. You know, the good news is he's under 20. So I hope he comes back and uh, becomes more efficient. I think, yeah, I think needs to come back. Definitely. I think needs to come back, but we'll see. I mean, I didn't see them or see him play in the uh, under-19 team. So I didn't kind of get that glimpse of him. I've only seen him really play this year and was just not, you know, I think Rich hit on it. Every time I watched him play, I just was like, I don't really see it. And even against that Arizona game where he had 20 points, I think he shot like 23 or 24% from the field. So it's like yeah. Yeah. The, num- the, the raw numbers look good. But then you have to look at the, you know, well, if I take 20 shots and I scored 20 points, how, you know, how impactful I really am, especially if I'm the, you know, the lead guard point of attack kind of player. Um, Going from miles to another player who I think has kind of gotten lost in the fold uh, partially because I think the team performed really well in the sec tournament, but kind of underperformed in the NCAA tournament. It's going to be Kennedy Chandler out of Tennessee. I watched him play when they upset or when they upset, I think they upset was a Kentucky in the semifinal, I think of the SEC tournament. Um, I, I watched him play Kentucky in the SEC tournament. He had a really good game, fifty uh, percent from the field, almost twenty points, and that was kind of my first like exposure to him. Uh, I didn't realize how he was a really highly touted prospect in the class of 20, uh, 2021. And I think just Tennessee as a whole kind of flew under the radar. They didn't start peaking until the end of the season. But I really liked what I saw from him. I think as a true freshman as well. I think there were a lot of elements to his game that I thought. Scores at a pretty solid clip, uh, is taking on a role on a team that had really solid aspirations that secured a three seed. I think the biggest knock on him right now is that he's still relatively young. I think he's 19. And I mean, he is, as they have him listed on ESPN, at least at six feet tall. And I don't know if he's so supremely athletic or, you know, gifted in any one way that kind of can make up for that difference. But I liked what I saw from him. I do think this is a player that should come back again, just to kind of, again, refine himself as a playmaker, decision maker, scorer and whatnot, because he could really build his stock. I don't think he's good enough to overcome some of the physical questions that people might have, but I like him as a player overall. And I think, you know, he had a nice stretch to the end of the season, um, pretty much from the end of February through their loss to Michigan, where he was putting up double digit points. And for the most part was in the 40, 50%, you know, shooting the ball. So I think he kind of came on strong and ended his season well. I like Chandler a lot as a as a true point guard. I think he's a good facilitator, like you said, a good scorer. My one concern with him is his shooting. Now, he did shoot 38% from three, which is pretty good. But like we said with Gene Montero, who was a poor shooter, but he had a good free throw percentage. Kennedy Chandler is a good three-point percentage, but only 60% from the line. So I don't know if there's a mechanics issue or, or anything, but that's something that did stick out to me. He, he did shoot five of six from three against Arkansas, which is very good game from him, but uh, just like the the free throw percentage concern, and it could just be he shot poorly from the line, or it could be he has some deeper shooting um, mechanical issues. Yeah, now that free throw percentage is very scary, Connor. <laughs> you don't want your point guard shooting sub seventy percent, if that he's shooting in sixties right now, or end of the season with sixty percent. Um, but to go back to what you said, Drew, about potentially him coming back. I actually disagree. I think that he should leave. Um, one, the reason uh, his stock, from what I can tell, is probably safely in the first round between just outside the lottery to like 20s. So I think it's just smart on his end just to stay in because of that reason. Um, and two, I actually do believe that 
his game can translate to the NBA. He's not an elite athlete, uh, like was already mentioned, but he does have some interesting measurables, even though he's only six feet. He has a six five wingspan, so he's not like totally small. He has a pretty solid uh, reach on him. And his I, I really enjoy his like his floor generalness, if that's a word. I don't want to compare him to this guy because they're not exactly the same, but I, I kind of think about Sharif Cooper from last year in terms of how freshman guard, small, undersized, not the greatest, even though his percentage is way better than Sharif. Sharif was a really, I think, a much worse shooter than Kennedy yeah. Chandler. Um, just even the shooting form was really bad. Um, he had to work on that in the G League, but whatever. With Kenny Chandler, he's a young point guard. Here's the keys to the offense, figure it out. And one thing I always love is seeing a player just improve as the year goes on. And that's what has been true for Kenny Chandler. He's improved as the year has gone on. And obviously they beat Kentucky, which is a very good team in the SEC tournament. Even though they didn't have the longest run in the NCAA tournament, I, I never thought it was his fault or that he uh, underperformed, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think Kenny Chandler, one thing for him, the three-point percentage is good, but I still want to see it go off the dribble. I, I think he had a good number of looks that was assisted upon that were where he just was left open. So in terms of off the dribble game uh, scoring, that would be one, uh, I guess, point of emphasis for him. But I can easily see him being drafted in the 20s, be the second, third string guy, maybe go to the G League for a bit um, and then come back up. Because in terms of skill set, he can pass the ball. He definitely knows how to run a pick and roll and knows how to like keep the guy on his back and making sure to leverage his position and leverage good angles. Um, and I, 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 he's 19. I, I believe that he's just going to get better from here. Yeah, I think for me when I say come back, I think you're right, TJ. I think the skill set, he could definitely go. And, you know, if, if he's looking at first-round money, it's hard to ask a 19-year-old kid to pass that up. I just think in terms of refining himself, I would love to see him come back and do it at the college level instead of be a second or third string point guard in the NBA where, you know, he's bouncing around, maybe getting a few minutes here or there when he can be the guy at Tennessee. But I really don't think there's, you know, as the G leagues become more relevant, he can obviously develop there too. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'm also always leaned towards like, Hey, if you can take that leap, maybe do so, you know, at Tennessee where you can really establish yourself. And I think we've seen this year that you can be a sophomore and raise your stock and go really high. But Rich, what are your thoughts on him? Well, Right now, I mean, the last time I looked, um, his average draft position was around 20. So could he approve upon that? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if he started hitting. What TJ said is absolutely correct. They basically had uh, three point guards starting. Well, Vescovy is kind of a combo guard, but uh, Ziegler is definitely a point guard and Chandler mm-hmm. is definitely a point guard and Chandler definitely shot much better off the catch this year than he did off the dribble. There's, there's no doubt about that. So if he shot better off the dribble, could his draft stock go up? Yeah. Oh, could he get up to maybe number 10? Maybe, you know, but if he's at 20, um, I, I think he's pretty much a lock for the first round. And, and I disagree with everybody who said is a, uh, he doesn't have good athleticism. I don't think there's many players. Um, I mean, there are players that are faster than him, including his teammate Zieg- Ziegler, but he's pretty damn fast, if you ask me. Um, so, and, you know, his, his favorite thing to do is attack the rim. And um, he's got to improve on that, especially with, with runners and floaters, because 
He, within seven feet right now, he's finishing at a 49% clip. And you definitely want that number over um, over uh, 50%. And with runners and floaters, he's at the 34th percentile. So that's the key there. He's not going to get any bigger. Uh, so if he gets the runners and floaters going, that would be that's one critical thing he has to do. The other thing is, is the pull-up game. He needs that pull-up game. Um, but in terms of passing, making reads, uh, being a floor general, as TJ said, he's got that down. He's also can be a very pesky defender. He averaged mm. 2.2 steals per game this year. Um, I very much like him. Um, I think, you know, if he had more of a jump shot or more of a floater game, he definitely could be in the lottery discussion. And I think even without that, he's, he's still right there on the edge of the, of the end of the lottery. Sounds good to me. I mean, we'll see. Like I guess I had Tennessee in one of my brackets actually making a run. So I was so a little I. bit butthurt so that he, oh, didn't, yeah. he, he came through against Michigan. I think he had 19. So he was the rest of the team let him down, but no, he played good know. in the tournament and he played yeah. good in the SEC tournament. Um, yeah, he, that, he played really good. He definitely as once again, TJ pointed this out, he played what better as the season went on. Um, yeah. Um, so Rich, you and I talked about this guy very briefly earlier uh, today when we were kind of uh, finalizing the list of guys we wanted to discuss, and that's going to be Scotty Pippen Jr. I haven't really seen him play a lot this year uh, out of Vanderbilt. I maybe caught like one game kind of in passing, more so long than name because of the name that's obviously tied to him. I was intrigued. So I'm going to throw this one to you to start. You know, what, what are your thoughts on Scotty Pippen? I know you mentioned that, you know, height-wise, he might actually not be as big as he's listed on sites right. like ESPN. Right. So. You know, six three yeah. to six feet. That's a bit of a difference. So what you, right. what, what you got for me? I, I, well, I was looking up Max Aismith's, um, you know, height and wingspan. And um, and I came across, I forgot that Scotty Pippen had participated in the G League elite camp. And I noticed without shoes or with shoes, excuse me, he's not even six foot two. And so they have him listed uh, on different sites as six three, but he's closer to six one. Um, but he does have a nice wingspan at six six. He was a leading scorer in the SEC, 20.4 points per game. Guy's definitely a bucket getter, and he also averaged, you know, 4.3 assists, 1.9 steals this year. However, we're going to get back to that word, efficiency. You know, his assist turnover ratio is only 1.3. He only shot 34% from three. Um, within seven feet off drives, he was only 44%. So uh, 32nd percentile with runners. Um, he's not even that great with uh, off-the-dribble jumpers, you know, uh, 50, 56th percentile with off-the-dribble jumpers. So, once again, you have a high-volume guy who puts up big numbers, but he does it on a lot of shots. Um, one of the, it's Scotty tested very poorly last year at the Combine athletically. So, the one thing you need, if you're going to go into the NBA under six foot three. You better be a pretty darn good athlete, you know, because that's what they want. If they're going to play you, it's because your speed and quickness is, ex you know, extraordinary. And, um, you know, Scotty, at least last year in the test, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily see him as being him being a slug on the court. But I think, you know, of all the people we've tracked over the years, he came out like at the 34th percentile as a guard. As a guard, now that's that's using him, that's comparing him with bigs and power forwards and all that. So, 
you know, a guard should be above the 50th percentile. Maybe he had a bad day. Maybe he had a sore heel. Who knows? So, because when I watch him, I don't, I don't see him being uh, uh, extraordinarily fast or, or quick, but I also don't see him being a slug. So, um, yeah, but again, you know, we, 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 this is a recurring theme of the lack of efficiency. Combine it, combine that with, you know, not uh, superior athleticism. And basically, you know, the only two guys on this list, I mean, I suppose you could make an argument, you know, Remy Martin is pretty damn quick. Um, Miles, uh, Note too. But um, so, but I mean, basically at this size, you, you got to have, you got to have it all that's expected from a little guy. You got to be able to pass, you got to be able to shoot and you got to be fast. And Scotty only comes up, you know, of the, he only checks one of those boxes. Yeah. Back to that efficiency word. One thing, especially for a guy who stayed in college for all three years, you want to see him improve in that department, but every year his three point percentage has gone down. And also you mentioned turnovers briefly, but he's last year, he was at 3.8 turnovers per game, which is not good this year. He got it down a little bit, but still 3.4. Um, so yeah, not not a guy I'm high on personally. Yeah, but again, leading score in the SEC. So I mean, that shows that he can get buckets. It's just can he get buckets at the NBA level? And and you know, uh, I don't know. In that if he's not moving that quickly, I don't know. Yeah, I just right. don't know if he's going to be able to get there if he doesn't have a reliable three ball. And you know, well, I mean, you look, you look at a guy like Ish Smith. Smith. Sure. Yeah, you, know, you know, I mean, that he couldn't shoot. I don't know how he's doing these days, but I, I know he couldn't shoot worth a lick. Can he? Is he changed that around? Sometimes has he changed that around at all? Uh, definitely, guy I've seen make every mid-range shot he's ever taken. But in terms of three-point <laughs> shooting, uh, not too much. Okay, but I mean, why did why was Ish able to you know make it in the league, and why was he able to stick around? For one thing, he has pretty got, gosh darn good speed. You know, I mean, he's fast. And um, so, and he was always a good passer. He was always a good defender, in my opinion. So, um, the, so you can survive without the shooting. Of course, you know, Ish never was and never will be a star. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of one of the keys, one of the common threads you see with the little guys is usually they're, you know, they're kind of blazing fast. For the record, Ish Smith going into this regular season is at 35 and a half percent from three. So not elite, but, but serviceable at right. the NBA level, but he's also what probably third mid thirties now been yeah. in the league a while. So I right. hope that he kind of figured out that maybe if I can shoot from three, it helped me stick around the league a little bit longer. Right. Um, next on the list is an interesting guy, mostly because his name's being tossed around, not in draft conversation, but I know he just recently entered the transfer portal and that's going to be Nigel pack out of Kansas state. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. I think he's got a lot of big suitors after him. I know Arizona's thrown their name out there. I think the Zags have uh, Tennessee as well. Um, so, you know, this is a player who I believe made first team all conference uh, has a lot of big teams looking to, you know, secure his services, but also as a guy that could maybe decide I might, you know, want to take my talents to the NBA or test the waters there. Cause he put together a really solid season, uh, Unlike, you know, we talk about Sky and efficiency, he was an efficient player, 45.5% from the field, almost 44% from three. He's a great free throw shooter. He's at about, I think, 85% from free throw. 
um, if I wrote it down correctly. And he was pouring in about 17 points a game. So he was getting the ball into the bucket, doing so from a variety of ways and at a pretty high level. So I'm curious to see if he decides that I want to go to another program and try my hand, maybe making a run with a different team at the collegiate level, or does he forego all that and say, I think I have the resume to jump to the NBA. I'm very curious as to see where he goes, because his name is going to be around the college and NBA scape, uh, scape for the next couple of weeks, most likely. Yeah, um, he definitely put his name in. Um, but, you know, that could mean anything from I just want to get feedback from the NBA to, sure. uh, you know, um, that I'm serious about staying in the draft. And I should say about Scotty Pippen, he he put his name in, but I think he has the option, or he hasn't put his name in. He hasn't yet. Yeah, he hasn't yet. But we're just guessing that he. We put him on this list because we think he will. Um, yeah. So I, I think Pack is probably the. I, I don't even know if he's six foot. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, but uh, I think he. I think he might. I think without shoes on, I think he's. I don't think he's six feet tall. <laughs> Yeah, so I think he's the smallest guy on this list for sure. He's probably close to it, yeah. Yeah. So um I, I you know, and he's only, you know, he's not even tw- he's gonna be twenty-one soon, but um yeah, he's definitely efficient. He doesn't put up the, the huge assist numbers that you would expect. Um uh you know, there were a couple other guys on that team that also work it's you know could play point guard. So but you know, I, I really, I'm hoping he's just testing the waters. Um, and I think that's probably what he's doing. Yeah. I really like Nigel pack. I remember I was watching the Baylor Kansas state game. Uh, I just had it on in the background and I'm seeing this kid hit fadeaway threes. And I, I tweeted about him. Cause I was like, this is nuts. He got up to 31 in that game. Uh, but he's a guy I like as a college player. Like he's, like you said, a very efficient, and he's had big games against big opponents, 35 against Kansas. Um, but in terms of the NBA game, like you said, he, he's barely six foot, even if, mm-hmm. and uh, he's not much of a one. Uh, he's definitely more of an off ball scorer. Um, you know, in terms of like facilitating, he's not that he's not a facilitator. He's a scorer. So it'll be interesting. I'd like to see him transfer to a bigger school and put up good numbers and see what happens. But yeah, I don't think uh, in terms of this year, I don't know where he's at. All right, fellas, so the last guy on our list today is probably, at least in my opinion, the least known. Uh, Somebody who probably does not get the same love as some of these Power Five uh, guys who have made runs and recently were in the tournament, and that's going to be Jameer Young. Uh, We've talked about him between the four of us. We've done our research and homework. He averaged, I believe, almost 20 points per game, about six rebounds and 3.7 assists. Plays in the Conference USA for a team that admittedly isn't all that great, but, you know, Rich informed us that he behind uh, Drew Timmy out of Gonzaga was, was it second? He was second in terms of he had the second most consecutive double digit scoring outings in college basketball. And as somebody who, you know, has grown up in the heart of the WCC, went to a WCC school, I've always been a proponent of regardless of the level of competition, you still need to play and produce at a high level because, it says more about you if you don't. If he was in a league like Conference USA and not putting up 20 points in double-digit scoring output, I think there would be some huge red flags, no chance, hang him up as soon as you can. But he's out there producing, putting up numbers regardless of the competition. And that speak vo- speaks volumes. And this is a guy that I, I'm kind of glad we're talking about because I didn't know too much about. 
And I think there's a lot of really good college players that the world doesn't really see. Um, you know, Richie probably the most experienced in terms of just covering him. You know, what, what do you think? Do you think he's got a shot coming out of Charlotte? Yeah, I, I yeah, I would like to see him come back for his senior year. And uh, sure. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he has that option. Um, he's not, again, uh, for his size, he, he's, he's also one of the bigger, you know, he, he's got a sturdy frame, um, but he's not an elite athlete. Um, he's also not an elite playmaker. He's more of a scorer. He plays a lot like an off guard for Charlotte gets a lot of his baskets on off ball attempts, like coming off screens handoffs, cuts, things like things of that nature. Um, so, and he's never been uh, an elite. He's more of a bucket getter than he is uh, an efficient, at least from three points. Three point, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's pretty good from the field, 47%, and he's an excellent free throw shooter, though that number was kind of like off the charts for him. I mean, uh, 89% this year. Um, he also had a career-high 1.7 you know, assist-to-turnover ratio, uh, again, though, uh, not a volume assist guy. Um, he's, he's the guy on that team and that's not a very good team. So, and he's not super at, uh, creating his own shot. As I mentioned, he gets a lot of, a lot of his plays or uh, derived offense. Um, so yeah, does he have a shot? I, I, I certainly think so. Uh, I would like to see him, you know, it's like we talked about, you know, can you be an off guard uh, at six foot two in the league? Only if you're playing with somebody like Ben Simmons or something like that, you know? So if he's playing with a Ben Simmons uh, and he gets that three point shooting up, yeah, he has a chance, but I think that's the key for him um, because right now he doesn't really play like a pure point guard. And um so he's going to have to be unlike a lot of these guys who pretty much are point guards. He kind of like is a six foot two combo guard. Um, so, and I think he needs to, to raise that three point shooting percentage to have a serious shot to get a serious look from, uh, from NBA scouts. Now he put his name in the draft. Um, so, and I think this is the first year he's tried to do that. So he'll probably get some very valuable feedback. And uh, we'll see. And who knows? I mean, a lot of guys are transferring. And, you know, if I was him, uh, I would look into that because um, you're kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, you really, I think for his senior year, he really, you know, or maybe he'll do it in his graduate year. But um, I think he's kind of maxed out in Conference USA. Yeah, he's a bucky getter. Uh, I don't want to rehash all the things he already said. But he's a lefty guard that knows how to score the ball in a multitude of ways in Conference USA. But what will his calling card be if he goes if he does go to the next level? I don't think he'll score 20 points in the NBA. It's very difficult, and the the leap in composition is extremely drastic. But I do think in this conversation, I'm thinking about just guards that are in the NBA that have had long careers that aren't either bona fide floor generals. And a guy that just came to mind is Patty Mills. And I wonder how many guys, again, Patty Mills, no, it's not a sexy name. It's not a player that you're going to talk a lot about in, in just regular conversation. But he's been in the NBA for over a decade, has played for successful teams, 
and no one would confuse him for being a bona fide floor general, but he finds his way on the Spurs, on the Brooklyn Nets, playing well in Australia, in the Olympics. I just checked uh, on my computer, and he's never averaged more than three and a half assists per game, and now is his career high. Most of the time, he's around two or one assists per game. So yeah, I think a guy like Patty Mills is a person that players that are not bona fide floor generals, but are productive scorers should model their games a little bit after. Because even Patty Mills, he's not just a shooter. He can also get to the basket here and there. He's a smart player. He's not taking horrible shots. He's not forcing the issue. He'll take what is available for, for him, come off off-ball actions, and make defenses pay if they don't respect his jumper. Yeah, I think you guys really nailed it on the head. But uh, one thing that does impress me is watching a lot of his games and that Charlotte offense. He's cutting to the basket a lot. And for undersized guards, he finishes really well. Um, but like you said, I think for him to have a chance in the NBA, he kind of has to redefine his game from this 20-point score to a Patty Mills-type role um, where he doesn't have to do it by himself. And he has to kind of learn how to be a better shooter. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you guys have covered it. I would, like Rich said, I would be interested in seeing him transfer. I think this year they only played one, you know, really high level team, and it was against Arkansas. Two, they played Wake Forest Two. as well. Oh, they okay. So I, I watched them against the Arkansas game. We went back and watched some film, and wasn't wasn't a great outing for him. So I would he like did, to see him. He did do well against Wake. He did do he well. Did. Okay, that's Wake, good. But he didn't play well against Arkansas. Yeah, so I think I'd like to see him maybe build out his resume a little bit more, just a little bit more complete profile against some higher-level competition. But, you know, the numbers are what they are, and 20 points a game and, you know, second in the country in terms of consecutive double-digit scoring outputs means something. So we'll see. I think he's a player that it could benefit him to come back, maybe try his hand at a, at a bigger school and see if he can make an impact. Bigger Before, school we, bigger school where he's not so much the man and he learns how yeah. to be more role-oriented, and that'd be interesting. Because totally. that, that's the role that he would have at the next level, you know? Yeah, he's definitely. Not, he's like, this is basically what TJ was saying, but he's he's not going to be this guy at the NBA. So mm-hmm. kind of like what Kellen Grady. Kellen Grady went from the man to, to filling in at Kentucky. And for a while, it looked like it was really working, but uh, his slump coincided with the team slumped toward the end of the season. Unfortunately, they just didn't have enough offense of uh, three-point shooting without Grady. Right on, guys. So we've wrapped up a list of our kind of uh, smaller, undersized guards that we're looking at that are going to try to throw their hat to the uh, draft ring. There are a few other small guards that you know we think are notable but probably won't declare or we don't really have a good sense of where they're at. It's going to be R.J. Davis, Tyrese Hunter, Marcus Sasser, uh, I always have a hard time with this guy's last name. Andre Curbelo, I believe is how you pronounce it. LJ Cryer, Javon Quirley, and Max Avis. Any comments on these guys? Um, a lot of them, I know I mean, RJ's still making a name for himself. He's doing wonders for his stock right now. So any guys stand out to you as somebody you want to keep an eye on? Yeah, I, Davis would be the guy that, you know, I think everybody else on that list won't go because uh, except for possibly Hunter. Hunter, you know, could, but Sasser's hurt. Cabello mm-hmm. just put his name in the transfer portal. Cryer's hurt. Quinterly's hurt. Max is healthy, but uh, he tried it last year, and I think he'll stick around this year. Um, uh, but Davis, Davis, you know, can you imagine if he has another big game in the finals? You know, he, yeah. he could definitely. Uh, he could sneak in there, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah no, I agree. I agree. Oh, oh, TJ, all you, man. All you. Yeah, RJ Davis for sure. He's still playing basketball. He's played head. He's had a hell of a tournament. He's definitely got some the people that didn't really watch him or watch UNC or didn't really care about his game and just focus on Caleb, Caleb Love. They've definitely learned his game and see how impressive his his ability to lead a, an offense because Caleb Love is the shooting guard in this offense. It's really R.J. Davis's show in terms of setting people up. Uh, but the two guys I'm most interested in, maybe not for this year for sure, but definitely in the 2023 NBA draft is L.J. Cryer and Tyrese Hunter. Uh, very quickly on Cryer. I think he's a good shooter. I think his shooting as well as his scoring acumen will translate or has a, like a really high, or at least I don't want to over overhype him, but he has a good chance of translating another year seasoning in Baylor where he averages 17 on like 40% three-point shooting. I think you'll see his name in the first round, probably towards the tail end. If not, maybe a little higher if he has a better year. In terms of Tyrese Hunter, uh, he showed a little bit more stuff in the in the tournament. He had a really awesome game against LSU uh, where he made he went berserk from three-point range, and he's not the greatest shooter at this point. Yeah, maybe um, seven, seven threes, I think. Yeah, six, seven threes. That's a lot. <laughs> and he did not shoot that well from three. Yeah. Um, but he's a good player. He's a very good – this is his freshman year, by the way. So he should develop. Now that he has a year under his belt, next year he should be good for 2023. And back to Cryer for just a second because better's team I watched the most. I think for Cryer's sake, as you said, he's injured, he won't declare, but as it, in Cryer's sake, Akinjo leaves and he steps into a bigger role. I definitely, as you said, I can see him jumping up in points per game. And as if, as if, if his efficiency stays the same, I can see him making a big leap in stock. Yeah, I mean, I you guys, again, kind of hit the nail on the head. I think RJ is obviously the one to watch. He's still playing. Uh, I really liked what you guys said about Tyrese Hunter, um, you know, coming as a freshman. Uh, that LSU game, he did go crazy. He won me a couple bucks. I made a bet with a buddy of mine <laughs> who went to school down south. So, uh, you know, if I ever see him, I own a beer. Um, but I do really like something about him that I don't think we talk about is how good Iowa State's defense was and how he, you know, he had to play a part in that. Um, you know, I don't think he's an elite defender, but, you know, they were a really ranked tough defensive unit. I like the fact that he was able to fit in as a team defender at a you know young age and, and make it work. And then this is more of a probably for next year's collegiate season. But I like Marcus Sasser. I really was a Houston guy throughout the year. And so, you know, him going down and how great they still play, losing their leading scorer, um, I think speaks volumes to the coaching job, the culture that they're building out in Houston. I'm just excited to see him come back. Uh, healthy and you know see if Houston can make another run because I just lo I love the way they play basketball it's hard nose it's tough and it's hard to any team would have a hard time replacing 18 points a game so I think it's a good group of guys and you know I'm excited to see what they do especially because most of them should come back we'll see with RJ so that wraps us up for our undersized guard undersized guard discussion with this coming draft uh first and foremost I just want to thank you guys for letting me jump on and join the team I had a great time talking hoops this is what I do the last couple weeks, months, all I've done is sit around during COVID and watch watch basketball and go to school. So thank you guys for letting me jump in. We want to take uh, the time to thank our guest, Jamari Bouye, as well, for coming on the show. Uh, we wish him the best with the draft process, and we hope he stays in touch with us. It's great to have him on. Uh, I also want to thank all the listeners. We're going to be back next week to wrap up the NCAA tournament, discuss some more draft prospects, and then talk about the NBA playoffs, which I'm super excited about. Our special guest is going to be Colorado forward Jabari Walker, who was a first-team All-Pac-12 selection this season, coming off a solid year. They had some issues, but they finished strong down the stretch, so looking forward to that one. Thank you, guys, and can't wait for the next episode.